we had the right numbers in the right places, you know, uh, with stabilization funds, uh, everything that addresses our bond status, our AAA bond status, which is huge when it comes to borrowing. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial, in home, in the car, 102.9. Wednesday was a town council meeting. This morning, Thursday morning, is town council quarterbacking session with our council chair, Tom Mercer. Tom, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, Steve. Uh, uh, we're getting the, this has been kind of a regular thing the last few weeks. Yeah, three <laughs> weeks in a row. Hey, yeah, this is cool. That? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have a we'll have a little break after this one till after the budget sessions. So. Yep, indeed. Yeah, we'll get into the budget sessions for the listeners at least. Thank you for coming. For the newbies, we're about to get into this. We'll explain that a little bit. More in detail for those who are regulars, you can kind of tap out for a little bit and then we'll you'll pick us up along the way. Back to the newbies. Well, since the council meeting was last night, we're going to condense the three hour or so meeting into 30 minutes or so and a focus on kind of two questions. So what just happened and what does it mean for us Franklin residents and taxpayers? So. We'll just jump right in. And you had a full agenda last night. There was a lot of good, some interesting news as well. Um, but we'll get into there. So first up, you had a license transaction. Um, yeah, and what was what was operating as Sierra's uh, having moved, they actually came for their liquor license as, as opposed to, I guess they were doing some interim day, uh, day of, weekend of, et cetera, type licenses. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, Sierra's Brick Oven Pizza. Uh, we had a public hearing on uh, that license, which we're required to by law. And then following that, we had the actual license transaction where we awarded the license. But first, you have to have the public hearing. And there was uh, uh, a lot of discussion. The, uh, uh, the applicant uh, they had a liquor license when they were up on West Central Street. Uh, they moved to uh, what was the creamery down at Spruce Pond. Uh, they moved into that location and they've had a multitude of issues, not the least being COVID and uh, uh, they had some uh, damage from uh, some water damage that delayed things. They were open, they were closed. They're now fully open and uh, uh, trying to get this application onto our agenda and get it approved. And in the interim, they had applied for one-day liquor licenses two or three times along the way, which obviously th those were granted by the town administrator's office and uh, there were no issues there. Uh, a resident did come forward with a petition from uh, 40 or so people from the Spruce Pond condos uh, speaking against 
granting the liquor license uh, without a whole, you know, the reasonings were, you know, noise and uh, uh, clean up around the pond and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Just the prevalence uh, of the other licenses already exactly, in that neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that there were so many licenses in the in that area, but that is kind of an eatery area mm -hmm. uh, has developed into one. Sure, um, and it's hard to say. Okay, you can have one next door, but you can't have one. Right. So, um, obviously, we get to uh, renew liquor license on an annual basis. So, uh, you know, it's. If we see problems with it, we can always address it uh, in December when we renew for the next year. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they've been uh, great people to work with. Uh, they fell on some hard times. So, you know, this is a little piece that we can help with. So uh, and there was another uh, other people in the audience spoke in favor of uh, life. So we had it from both sides. Because it's a Franklin family as well, so that was one of the one of the uh, accommodations was you know this, I know the family I've been with the family for a while they're doing good you know so let's help our own exactly and so uh, it was uh, after I closed the public hearing then we went right to license transaction and they were awarded their common victualers license uh, unanimously by the council. Yep. And we've been into there at least once. Uh, I think it was just before they had their water issue. Um, and then obviously I was waiting for the liquor license so we could go back because we're, we're close enough. We can walk there and then walk back. It's nice mm -hmm. and easy. And to the extent that we have at least the one hotel and the second hotel soon to come online, to that extent, that helps both the town revenues as well as the visitors to really have the choice between uh, the restaurants that are there uh, for either breakfast, lunch, or dinner to that <laughs> extent, right? Um, yeah, and, exactly. I, and then that's convenient to the two hotels. And then clearly they can come into downtown and do, you know, take advantage of some of the other pieces. So yeah, there are choices, but it's also revenue for the town. And Absolutely. yeah, you've got that oversight and the oversight generally is there and they, they already have a key track record, which is, I think, one of the other key pieces. So Yes, agreed. So, and then we had just two license modifications, uh, which are things that uh, were required by law when there's a change of manager or change of officers. We, you know, ABC does their thing and we're required by law to do ours. So there was a modification uh uh, and a change of manager at Longhorn Steakhouse. And then there was a change of officers and directors at 99 Restaurant, which, again, both were unanimously approved by the council last night. Yeah, and this is something I think, Jamie, this time another prior has alluded to. There's pending legislation that may change that. Because right now, to your point, yeah, legally, because you are the local body, local authority, you have to see these, but to a certain extent, there's no operational issue at a local level. This is something that's at their, you know, director level, you know, corporate level. And it's nice to know, but it really doesn't have an impact locally. Yes, exactly. 
So respectfully, you approved and moved on and we'll see what happens in the changes. And until then, we still get to see those. So and then you get into the presentations and discussions. And the first one up was the annual financial audit. And again, a clean audit, which that's great news. It, it is great news. And it just uh, uh, tells the story that our administrative team, our department heads, uh, and our business office do a wonderful job in preparing uh, and keeping our books uh, as they should be kept. And uh, this is, I think, either the third or fourth year that we've had a very clean yep. with, and in this particular case, there was no management letter uh, saying, well, this is something you should think about doing, or this is something you should think about doing. Uh, it was clean and totally clean with no recommendations. Uh, so it's a really good thing in the way that we, uh, you know, we're set up, we're, uh, we have a AAA bond rating. And after the review of the audit, uh, Scott McIntyre, who uh, has done our audits uh, over the past few years, for sure, he uh, uh, spoke about how uh, we had the right numbers in the right places, you know, uh, with stabilization funds, uh, everything that addresses our bond status, our AAA bond status, which is huge when it comes to borrowing. And we know going forward, that's going to be something we're going to need to do mm -hmm. uh, one way or another. You know, we have the Tri-County School coming up for a vote in the fall. Uh, we have, you know, obviously the Beaver Street Interceptor, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yep. Um, so these are all things that are that are just really uh, puts the community in a very good position uh, when you have a AAA bond rating, because there aren't a whole lot of them in the state that have that uh, kind of, especially in these times. And uh, I can't. Uh, say enough about our, the second floor at Town Hall, which is our business treasurer's uh, offices that take care of the uh, finances for the community. And they do a great job keeping the books in line and being able to have our audit come forward on an annual basis and be uh, a, with a clean audit no management letter with any recommendations didn't even feel that we needed he needed to write one so mm -hmm. uh that's just a, a a wonderful thing and kudos to uh our team our town administrative team yeah i'll second that and then two quick points one i also stood up because i thought it was appropriate in my experience reporting since 2007 clearly in those early days <laughs> We had some significant financial issues to work with more around process. There were management letters that had a number of items. And then the management letters started coming down, coming down, less items, less items. And yeah, last three or four years, there hasn't been a management letter. There's been no additional actions. And the other key point within that as well is uh, he reinforced that our use of free cash is for one-time capital 
And it's good to hear them say that because clearly that helps our own internal processes and helps the numbers come out to be into the range where we are supposed to be in order to maintain that AAA rating. So all goodness within those. Yeah, absolutely. And then we shifted from finance to wastewater and some really dirty stuff, but it was like <laughs> enlightening to, to, to hear oh. all the details on how the water gets cleaned after you flush <laughs> without uh, wipes, without wipes. That's one of the key pieces. Wipes. Uh, you know, truth be told that we would be doing the disservice if we did not say uh, during the, this podcast that we should uh, people need to understand that wipes as well, they do flush, but they don't uh, uh, disintegrate, so they do cause problems. So you should not flush wipes. Yeah, I think she uh, she mentioned uh, the, the mnemonic kind of three Ps. Yeah, three P, Ps. Pee, poop, and great... toilet paper. <laughs> I was thinking it was kind of also in a kind of water reduction thing. You pee three times and then you can flush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Which, which may be another piece, but that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> exactly. So I thought uh, uh, Elizabeth Taglieri or uh, Liz... Uh, uh, her passion for her job just comes through as she discusses it. I mean, think about it. She's she's dealing with wastewater all the time. And to have the kind of passion that she has and she portrays in talking about it mm -hmm. is uh, just a, a wonderful thing. And it's uh, I think I learned a lot more about wastewater than I ever knew last night. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, a really good thing, you know, Franklin had the foresight in the 70s to clearly buy the capacity. Yeah, build the capacity. Think about back then. it. Yeah. Building the capacity for wastewater in another town. <laughs> but, but buying up that capacity then. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, has put us in such a good position, comparatively speaking, because basically there's four towns that uh, use that wastewater treatment plant. Mm -hmm. Medway, Bellingham, and Millis. Yep. And uh, if you look at capacity uh, levels and the projected capacity uh, level for the other three towns, they're, they're projected out Medway at 94%, Bellingham at 96%, Millis at 90%, and Franklin is at 74%. Yeah. And yeah, yes, Franklin had sewer long before these other towns did. Uh, so uh, that we were fortunate in that respect. But us sitting at 74% capacity, uh, you go back and look at when they bought the capacity in the late 70s, they looked at the build out of the community. Sure. Of the entire community. And we're in good shape. We can take a complete build out and still be under the uh, under our capacity where these other towns are so close that unless the plant enlarges or uh, 
they're going to be up against a situation where they will actually have to stop allowing sewer tie-ins. Sewer tie-ins, right? Forced to go to septic and systems, forced et cetera. To go to septic system. Uh, so uh, that was really important information and information that I, for one, was certainly not aware of. I know that we were within our capacity. I did know uh, through conversations with other community leaders that uh, Medway was getting close to capacity, but uh, I wasn't aware of the other two communities in the 90s as well. So mm -hmm. these are, uh, certainly concerns for these other communities, which we do not have as far as capacity goes, but we do have, uh, you know, uh, issues with the infrastructure, uh, getting the water to the treatment plant, uh, i.e. the Beaver Street Intersector, which yeah. is what the what the main line is and mm -hmm. we've appropriated the funds and borrowed or will be borrowing to uh take care of that piece it was just really enlightening to me to see a gallon of water or a flush of a toilet how long is it in the system in medway till it comes out theoretically clean to go into uh back into the Charles River in the bottom mm -hmm. into the harbor. It takes a full day, the yep. water, uh going through the different processes uh within the treatment plant to clean that water and uh get it back out into the uh uh into the river. So, right. Yeah, it was an amazing process. Um, two other points I think I would add to that. Clearly, the capacity piece, what we use water usage-wise generally goes to the sewer side. So I know people on the social media, particularly in Facebook, are always saying, we can't build anymore, we can't build anymore. Misunderstanding that we have the capacity, it's the permit that's allows us to pump when we can and right. this is the proof of the capacity because oh by the way we we've got room to grow without using our full capacity right and then the other key piece in terms of the water quality and the testing quality along the process gorelic is our single largest user and they get tested more frequently than others and if they exceed their quality commitments they pay more yeah, exactly. to, put, to put it through so yeah and it's uh like 20 percent. so it's yeah. uh they're a, a big source of uh uh water, use. water usage as well as uh sewer, sewer. usage yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed. A lot of learnings there. Um, certainly the video is already available for replay up on YouTube. You can go to the Franklin TV links to get it or to Franklin Matters. I just shared it this morning. But um, yeah, to skip ahead to that. Rather interesting to find out more, more than you perhaps want to know about wastewater. <laughs> exactly. It was really good information and information that uh, now after the fact, it's valuable information for counselors to be aware of this 
Sure. How we and, got there and where, where we are and how we got there. Absolutely. So it's a perfect setup. And before we go to that follow-up on the setup, we also get introduced to the PFAS regulations, which from an EPA level are changing. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon how you look at it, the mass DEP levels were already there. EPA now is going to be reducing or improving on that quality reporting level, which is going to pose us some unique challenges. Uh, it, it is, Steve. And that was uh, certainly, I know it was eye-opening to me, and I'm sure it was eye-opening to the rest of the council. Whereas if these, uh, if this legislation goes through, um, we could be looking at just for Franklin, uh, 30 or $40 million worth of uh, infrastructure that we have to put in to deal with the PFAS levels. Mm -hmm. That's not there. No. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I uh, asked our town administrator last night, I said, we need to get to our congressman and get to him now. Uh, and because this is not just Massachusetts, this is nationwide. True. That's a number that I don't know how we'd ever do that. Yeah. And principally, I think the key piece there for the listeners as well, you can go in other sources and find out info. But effectively, PFAS is called a forever chemical because it 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 is a forever chemical. It is so prevalent. It is everywhere. And unfortunately, until we stop it, yeah. <laughs> the cost for managing it is going to continue to grow. And we haven't yet stopped it. That's, I think, the key piece that we're going to need to truly, as a community, get through all our legislation levels. So state into federal, we've got to put a stop to it somehow, some way. Otherwise, we don't have a prayer of trying to keep up with it on the back end, which is the only way currently that we're, we're being forced to do so. And that's not appropriate because the water sewer folks are effectively paying for a problem that's across the country. Exactly, exactly. And it's uh, it's just truly unfair to be mm -hmm. putting this kind of a burden on local municipalities. Uh, so uh, obviously we will argue the point, uh, you know, who knows, even if it just gets pushed off or uh, gets looked at where... You know, they're changing the regulation from what's now there's six different cleansing pieces that they're working with that can't exceed a 20% number. And they're talking about taking two of these being the PFAS and saying they can't exceed four. And that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, and I understand the need, no question about it, but... Uh, how does a municipality uh, chew on a 30 or $40 million project coming out of nowhere? Right. Um, so uh, stay tuned. There's more to this. Uh, you know, obviously, this is not something that we have to deal with immediately, but we need to get it onto our radar. And obviously, the first thing uh, we need to do is get to our congressman and say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to give us time to do something like this. 
uh, has they have they thought all through it? Now, you know, for people that don't understand what PFOS is, it's a carcinogenic. It's something that uh, does cause cancer, uh, but it's everywhere, as you stated, right. and the spigot is still on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's to your point, it's a forever material that is. You know, you deal with it all your life. Uh, it's in everything. And uh, it's probably not going to affect you till very late in life, if at all. Yeah. And respectfully, that's where I think there needs to be some of that kind of, okay, let's, let, what is, the, clearly it is a carcinogen, but it's not akin to like radiation where it's much more radioactive materials is a much more quick effect <laughs> as opposed to a lifetime potential impact so let's put it into that scope and context and yeah you mentioned the currently mass says at 20 parts per trillion most measurements are at parts per million so parts per trillion i think he said one drop <laughs> in the pond <laughs> is yeah. that kind of level of detail they're looking for yeah and now they'd be going instead of from across six measures to equate to that or more than the 20. Now they're going on two of them to equate to four parts per trillion. trillion. So it is yeah. truly increased the scope, uh, increased the propensity of us tripping that scope, yeah. which, you know, that's where the cost comes in. And it's like, yeah, no, no, come on. I understand in a perfect world, that'd be great. But okay, you want to give us the millions in order to do that? We'll take it. Yes. But to pull it out of our pockets and nobody else doing it? Ah, come on. Yeah. You, yeah. That, a sense of reality needs to come to that one. For sure. So enough pontificating on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll go to something more that we can control, at least on the sewer rate increase. Okay. Yes, it's going up. But at least the uh, contract bids came in less than they could have been. So that exactly. is a good we sign. Were, we thought uh, with, you know, the Beaver Street Interceptor, uh, which is the sewer pipe that runs uh, down 140 uh, by, the, by the train tracks and underneath the uh, uh, Village Mall, uh, which is over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're living dangerously every minute and keep our fingers crossed that there isn't uh, a problem with it because we all know what happened or a lot of us know what happened in Plymouth where they did not replace and had a break and it has cost them millions and uh, the taxpayers are paying uh, a crazy, crazy number to get that up and functioning again. So uh the increase in sewer rates are basically to cover the uh bid that we thought might be closer to uh 35 to 40 million had actually came in when the final bids came in uh it came in at 28 million mm. and yeah. uh you know it has required us obviously to uh to pay for these costs is you know, uh, the water and sewer had to go up, this, or the sewer rate had to go up. So basically, the rates are going to increase from 22 to 23, 19 percent, 
from 23 to 24, 15%, and from 24 to 25, 10%. Basically, what that means is uh, it goes from 605 uh, uh, to 722 uh, for uh, the base uh, rate. Yeah, yeah, the base rate. So, uh, they, yes, uh, they are increases, but it's going to pay. Uh, it's all there just to pay for the infrastructure that needs to be done. Yeah, it's akin to if we did a school, then we could do a debt override, debt exclusion um, to pay for the 20-year bonding, et cetera. But this is more specific because it's sewer, so thereby the user fees, the mm -hmm. sewer fees will fund the same 20-year process because it's infrastructure. Um, exactly. and it'll be just sewer as opposed to the entire community. Right. And when you think about it, it's a 109-year-old pipe <laughs> that uh, has had nothing done to it. Uh, yeah. And I think picking up on what we talked about before, and we've mentioned it before to the extent that, okay, 110 whatever years ago, people in Franklin had the foresight to build a great pipe with a lot of capacity. So it's lasted us till now. Even as recently as the 70s, the people in Franklin put in the sewer capacity, which we still have through the Charles River uh, Pollution Control District. Now it's beholding to us to have that same foresight and same will to set up for the future. Right, exactly. Uh, so, you know, again, kudos to uh, our leaders from the 70s and our administration from the 70s right on through now and going back to the uh, 100 years ago, uh, same thing. Uh, they were smart enough to do the right thing then and obviously, it's time for us to do the right thing now. Mm -hmm. Yep. The next two items on legislation that you approved last night effectively were paired. So as part of the sewer and planning process, there's some grant that we need to apply for. And the two measures, based on the legalities and rules around it, needed to come together so that we could go and apply for monies, which exactly. would then allow us to better plan for what we're going to need to do in the sewer infrastructure on our own side. Yes, and that's basically the, it was, I believe, $250,000 uh, was appropriated to pay the costs associated with the Franklin Sewer System system Asset Management Plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's basically... Uh, to apply for the grants that we need to do to get uh, to get this done. So, again, as you stated, two pieces of legislation that we're required to do in order to give the administration the ability to apply for it. Right. And while we're spending money clearly on the the interceptor piece, this, as I understand it, gets us that asset plan for, oh, by the way, we have 23 other pump stations, <laughs> which yeah. are going to be aging over time. And this gives us that kind of matrix of what do we need to do when, gives us the planning process so we can address that again proactively as opposed to waiting until something breaks. True. <laughs> Very True. 
And then the next two pieces of legislation as well were zoning changes and rather significant in the what the ongoing housing, affordable housing discussion has been. We now allow it have and have inclusionary zoning built into the process. And I can't be happier than I am with that legislation. And I know uh, the legislation we passed last night, uh, and I think the community, this is one of the, some of the legislation that really, for the most part, goes unnoticed. But I look at these two, two pieces of legislation as two of the most important pieces of legislation that the council has approved in many, many years. And I have to give kudos out to uh, the Economic Development Committee and the Extended Economical, Economic Development Committee that included uh, planning board members uh, as and the Zoning Board of Appeals, uh, who worked and understand this. This was 17 months of very difficult work in our planning department uh, to get to bring this to the council and get uh, people to agree uh, on these, the concept and uh, what the numbers should be. And I think... Uh, I think Jamie uh, alluded to it a couple of times uh, way back when uh, Jeff Nutting was uh, uh, the town administrator. He, uh, when Jamie first came on board, uh, they were talking about zoning and Jeff said, you will never, never get inclusionary zoning bylaw passed. Well, we did. And it was not without a lot of very hard work by our planning department, uh, by uh, Councillor Hamblin, Councillor Frangillo, uh, Councillor Jones, and I think Councillor Sheridan, uh, and uh, Greg Rondo from the planning board, Beth Whirling from the planning board, and uh, Bruce Hunchard from the Zoning Board of Appeals, and anybody who has watched politics, town politics over the years, that's a very diverse group of individuals mm -hmm. with an awful lot of local knowledge to get them to agree and uh, be comfortable bringing forward to the council these two zoning bylaw changes. Uh, I just can't thank them enough. Uh, it was an awful lot of work. And as I said, I think it's two of the most important pieces of legislation we've passed. Yeah. And even from my observation or reporting perspective, it was unique. And I think the key piece I would, what is inclusionary zoning? So the big, the Dean Avenue apartments and even the ones that are being built across uh, next to a big Y those did not have affordable housing, whether it's capital A or little a, in them as part of the process because we did not have this legislation on the books. 
Now, anything coming over, and I believe it ended up as more than 20 units, or it's maybe more than 10. I forget that detail. But at a trigger point, now inclusionary housing needs to be part of the proposal going forward. So that continues or starts the process of really of creating affordable housing. And granted, there still may be discussions around whether it's really affordable or not. That's beside the point. There will be affordable housing as part of these going forward. And the other key piece is it truly shows the art of compromise. Not right. everybody was happy. We may still tweak that number over time, but at least it's there. It's something to work with. And I applaud everybody involved having watched them all. It, it was it was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, there were tough moments, but and there were challenging moments. And challenging discussions and motions made and not seconded, motions made seconded and then ended in a tie, hence failing. That art of compromise has not yet been lost here in Franklin, and there's hope for that. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, again, again, great, uh, uh, great accomplishment for the community and a great piece of legislation for our community. And then moving on, a simple gift rig acceptance, which is simple, but it's it's monumental too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We the uh, we had a gift acceptance of the uh, uh, established sign for the uh, Red Brick Schoolhouse. So uh, Cam uh, signs by Cam uh, donated. Uh, a hand-cut sign for uh, our oldest continuous running school, uh, the Little Red Brick Schoolhouse, uh, right now being used by students, uh, uh, robotic students. Uh, so it's, again, thank you very much to Cam for stepping, stepping forward and uh, getting this established sign uh on the school for us mm -hmm. yep thanks indeed and then the final item for a discussion today was a key piece last night closing out kind of the round two of the capital budgeting um round two being we use the free cash for capital items but we always hold some aside for winter not knowing what it's going to do exactly, exactly. now the winter's kind of behind us <laughs> Right, not knowing what our snowfall is going to be, and uh, it's pretty much a guess every year. And uh, uh, fortunately, we only had uh, I don't know nine or ten inches. We didn't have a whole lot of snow this year, so we we're able to turn back to capital. And it's what we call the second round of capital. And uh, basically. Uh, Last night uh, or a week or so ago, the capital uh, subcommittee met to review uh, with the different department heads round two and uh, Councillor Pellegri, who chairs the capital subcommittee, uh, brought forward uh, the expenditures and basically Department of Public Works was 581,000 uh, for design and maintenance of uh, roads, sidewalks, and parking lots. Uh, school department uh, received 77,000 for the special ed van. Uh, a marketing and branding piece of uh, $50,000, which kind of goes along with the grant that we received from the state for marketing and branding. 
uh, so we can get a, a consultant on board. Uh, we're really excited about that piece. Uh, the town clerk, uh, 3,000 to, uh, so they can identify uh, some of their uh, election workers uh, with fleece vests, uh, but also double-sided magnetic signs for the different uh, uh, different signage that they need at uh, the election yeah. site. So, yeah. uh, so it was a total of $711,782 that was approved last night for round two of capital. Mm -hmm. And reinforcing the point as well, you took the action again for these one-time uses of the free cash, which, oh, by the way, yes, we heard earlier in the meeting, that's a good practice, continue to do it, and you did indeed do it. And just to elaborate a little bit more on the branding piece, because people would say, well, what do we need branding for? Well, if you've ever looked at any one of, and then across, so Police vehicles have a coloring scheme. DPW vehicles have a coloring scheme. School vehicles have. There is not yet a consistent kind of branding, logo usage, coloring usage. It's, this funding at least gives us the capability to start that process. Correct. What What do we do? We want to continue to use kind of the city seal, or do we want to have you know a new emblem? That'll be part of the discussion. How do we represent ourselves? Because clearly we're also coming up to our 250th anniversary, right? So it's Absolutely. it's kind of all good timing to take a little it time, is. spend some money, because one of our other conversations has been, it's a competitive market. We're competing with other towns for employees as well as not citizens and residents. So how do we market sure. ourselves? Exactly. You know, we should be using the same fonts. We should be using the same color scheme. One of one of the uh, one of the little things that gnaws at the back of my neck is uh, I look at all our signage around town and it's green. Well, Franklin colors have always been blue. Blue yes, and white. Different shades, <laughs> blue, but it's yeah. blue and white. And why are all our signs green? Right. <laughs> it doesn't. It just doesn't mm -hmm. jive. So yeah. these are. This is a long process. It's going to take some time, but if we can just get it started, so that as we move forward, we can incorporate these changes and this branding and marketing for our line that we want to go to. So mm -hmm. uh, the council's very excited about this, and obviously, I'm very excited mm -hmm. about it as well. Yeah, there will be community involvement. It is a collaborative effort. Schools are on the same page with us and trying to go forward. So they'll be working together um, for a more consistent image of what Franklin is because yeah. we're here. <laughs> well, thank you for taking time to do the recap. I hope the listeners appreciate and understand a little bit more about, oh, yeah, we did that. What does that mean? Oh, so we know we've got some increases coming. We know why the increases are coming. We know things we're going to have to watch for as things continue to develop over time. And certainly um, the people need to, uh, just as a reminder, uh, this is budget time and yes. we are right in the heart of it. So please folks tune in uh, next week, the uh, finance committee will be meeting on the budget uh, Monday night, Wednesday night uh, will be the schools. Uh, public safety is Thursday. Uh, Thursday, 
and DPW and so forth will be on Monday. Right. Uh, so it's Monday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, seven o'clock. Uh, you can tune in by Zoom or you can watch it on uh, uh, cable, but or Franklin TV. So these are very important uh, sessions. And as we've said numerous times, Steve, in our discussions is the finance committee sometimes and most of the time does a little deeper dive into some of these budgets than you would see at the public hearing uh, from the council. And remembering as well, uh, finance committee will review it all next week. Then there'll be two public hearings uh, that the town council will have on May 24th and 25th. So there's these, this is the time. If you have some concerns, if you have questions, if you want to learn what's in the budget, why we do things the way we do, please tune in, take part, ask questions. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the time. Yeah, the quick image would be there's only so much peanut butter in the jar. How do we spread it so we cover <laughs> as much as we can? Well said. <laughs> I like peanut butter. It's a, it's a cool thing. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking time. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. Come back for more. Uh, we'll be on a brief hiatus. We'll go until uh, we're normally on every council meeting. But as Tom just alluded, the 24th and 25th. So the week after Memorial Day, we'll record our next one. So that'll be all the budget together. And then what is the next, what are, what's the outlook beyond that, that the budget gives us. So you'll have a be, a brief breather in the meantime, um, but there'll still be things happening. So stay tuned because absolutely Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.